Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This thing right here is for my people's in the Yes, yes, today. Yes, yes, today. You know, as we start this show, this one might be. There is a pause. Throughout the stadium, as the man sounded like he just coughed up a lung. They're looking around. The jumbotron shows and pans the cheerleaders, and as it goes down each cheerleader's face, each one breaks up into laughter, which at this particular time destroys half the stadium. The other half is still trying to figure out what the hell just happened. Does this guy need? Uh, CPR or something, and then at that particular time, I lost it. <laughs> Devon dropped. Yes, yes, yes. Today, Lock Talk Radio. This one, Mike. Phoenix is another place. They got a great uh, training staff. I mean, they they were able to breathe life back into Shaq. And if you can do that. You know, people talk a lot about their <laughs> training staff. Lock, lock. Welcome back to RSG One Mike. Uh, we are moving into the Cypher segment. Uh, we just had a really great, great conversation with uh, Sekou. Um, all callers and the hosts are brought to you by Carbonwell Health. Go to carbonwellhealth.com. Let them know that the Real Sports Guys sent you. We're about to go to the Cypher. Welcome to the Cypher. This is where uh, we get into our main topic. And given the news that's been going on today, we're going to have, we're going to, uh, a lot of times we'll, we'll talk about one or two things, but we got a number of things we got to cover in this Cypher. So we're, going to have, we're just going to be focused on top issues in sports tonight because we got so much hot stuff uh, going on that, that we need to have it, we need to have it covered. Um, we started off a little bit talking about uh, the Super Bowl, and so I want to finish that Super Bowl conversation in the first part of this segment where we can uh, really get into some of the keys of the game because the game will happen before you all probably hear from us next time. And so I want to get a chance for myself and, uh, and Hank to kind of break down what we think some of the keys are going to be. And I, maybe I'll start out. I think one of the things I think is going to be real clear uh, right now, uh, depending on whether or not Gronk plays or not, my feeling that you know he'll probably be cleared to play at some point uh, this week in, um, in in terms of the concussion protocol is that um, the Philadelphia defense has got to control Gronk, and that happens two ways. Um, they got to make sure that they don't let him roam free off the line. Um, and the other thing is that the offense has got to put together some drives 
that keeps New England's offense off the field. You know, control those possessions. Um, I think it's going to be it's going to be uh, 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 critical, and uh, that means that they got to move those first downs. They got to be able to make plays on third down. Um, those backs uh, that they have uh, have to have a, a, a really good day, uh, keeping things uh, interesting uh, for them. And so, you know, I think uh, one of the keys that they got to do is really got to be able to get on top of them and really try to control the pace of the game. And that's going to be very important uh, to force Tom Brady into uh, some mistakes. The other thing is that defensive line has got to put some pressure up the middle. I think one of the things that is difficult for Brady and most quarterbacks, particularly for Brady because he's not mobile, is pushing the pocket back into his face and making him um, uh, slide and get away from that pressure and even force him to one side of the field. So they got to really start to, you know, Fletcher Cox and those guys up front have got to find a way to put that pressure up the middle and not let that pocket just set crisp. Uh, but to do some of what they saw Jacksonville doing, getting him down on the ground or knocking him down, not necessarily always getting to him, but putting that, putting those body blows on him uh, over the course uh, of a day. And so those are some things initially that I think are very important for Philadelphia uh, to do to begin um, uh, trying to make a case if they want to be able to be in a position to win this game. Hank, as you begin to think about some of the keys, what are some of the things that are important that you see? Well, you know what? I think that the recipe to stop Tom Brady is pretty clear. I think we saw Atlanta try to do it last year in the Super Bowl. Um, you, you saw Jacksonville, as you had spoke about, try to do the same thing, and, and, and make no mistake about it, you're going to see that same defensive strategy that Philadelphia is going to try to do as well. The one thing that Tom Brady does, though, and what the New England Patriots do, do very well, is they keep that pressure on you the entire game. And if you watch that team any time, the first half, they don't always look the best. In fact, you know, that's where you, you, these teams really – they, they, uh, what I've watched is these teams that's played them and has really had a chance to beat them uh, have, have taken their foot off the gas simply because the New England Patriots, regardless of the score, plays the same brand of football the entire time. And to beat that team, uh, I saw a game um, uh, where they played the Miami Dolphins uh, down in Miami uh, this, this season. Miami simply did not take their foot off the gas. They just continued to play at that pace, and that team just simply could not come back and recover from that. That's what Philadelphia is going to have to do. They're going to have to play at a at a fever pitch the entire 60 minutes and not take their foot off the gas and not think that the game is over, even with two minutes left and they're up by two scores. That's what it's going to take. The other thing that I look at, too, is the whole Nick Foles piece. Uh, Nick Foles had an incredible game in, at the link last week. Uh, and um, you know, really, that team looked like world beaters. I don't, I don't want to take anything away from Philadelphia. They've got they, they, these two teams are evenly matched. They have the same record, identical record. Uh, both of them, the top seeds in, the, in in their respective conference. So these are two heavyweights. Uh, you have a young heavyweight in Philadelphia, and you just have an experienced grizzled veteran in New England. The young, the young squad is going to try to come out. They're going to try to punch them in the mouth. But they have to prepare themselves, D, for a 15-round fight. 
And if they come out and 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 make the same mistakes that these other young teams have made, they're going to be watching New England uh, celebrate again. So they're going to have to figure out a way. And, and believe me, uh, Tom Brady and uh, Bill Belichick is looking at ways. And, and you said Gronk is the big X factor. But the thing about Gronk is I don't think he's the X factor they make him out to be because, you know, he can't find his way. To, he can't find his, 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 his a way to stay on the field. You know, they, lost, they won last year without him. You know, they won last week without him. So uh, it's going to be an interesting game. And, I, and, and obviously on the New England side and on defense, just make Nick Foles uncomfortable. Uh, make Nick Foles beat you, but make him uncomfortable. You know, if that's going to make for an ugly game. But uh, that's where, you know, if there's any advantage, to, that obvious advantage is going to be at the quarterback position. Yeah, and I, and I agree. I think that, um, you know, and I say Gronk in the sense that if he plays, he's always – but it's really controlling that middle of the field. Right. And so, it was, you know, when Gronk's not there, it's Amendola, but somehow controlling that middle of the field because I think so much for them plays off of whoever's in that middle of the field. Um, it opens up, you know, his ability to go over the top if he needs to go over the top. But, you know, whether it's Gronk or Amendola, whomever that is in that field, taking away that middle of the field and coming up the middle and forcing – time to play one side or the other early, um, get rid of it early. Um, I think it's something that they're going to have to really uh, try to do uh, and, and, and beat them around. Uh, I think that's going to be important, like you said. And, and Foles has got to make some, some um, you know, some plays. And um, the fact that he, the, the running backs, Ajay and Clements and those guys, have to be able to make um, plays in the running game but also in the passing game to help keep drives going. Uh, so that, um, uh, you know, they create some single coverage on the outside uh, so that there's opportunities to get downfield. And so I think those are some of the things that I have to look at. If you were going to make your early prediction, uh, who, who are you predicting in, uh, uh, it to win Super Bowl? Well, listen, um, just well, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what I, I look to see. I look to see this game really lean more towards – um, Philadelphia early. I look for Philadelphia to really come out. I look for them to be on fire. I look for them to try to hurry up and and uh, really try to punch New England in the mouth. But what I look for is that fourth quarter. I look at the fourth quarter, not just any other fourth quarter. I look at it as a legacy fourth quarter. I look at it as Tom Brady and uh, Bill Belichick and this group of uh, Patriots uh, their, their, their last hurrah. And I look for a very, very close game. I'm looking for a one-score game. I'm looking for maybe a field goal game. Uh, I'm looking for a late-score game. But I look for New England until somebody does it. I'm looking for New England to take this game and, and, and win back-to-back Super Bowls. Yeah, I'm with you. I hate to, I hate to um, <laughs> go anywhere else, but after seeing what Atlanta did last year and seeing a what New England did in that situation with Atlanta, I just can't bet against New England. No. I think Philadelphia is sneaky good. Yeah. Um, and I think they're even more sneakier good without Wentz because in some ways you don't quite know what Foles can do, but Foles has had big games before. You, can't be, you, mean, you wouldn't be surprised if he threw four touchdowns. He's just that kind of kid. You just never know what's going to happen in the moment. Um, and they, Philly's just kind of been sneaky tough 
the whole year. Um, and so, but there's something about the GOAT. Um, you know, I've been hard on him in terms of his socialism and stance and everything else, but if I'm just going to be a football person and be honest about that, um, they got good balance. They got enough balance to win. Um, and I think he's highly motivated because I think for you, he doesn't know how many he's going to get. And every chance he has, he's going to take advantage of it. And you got to take it from him. Like you said, that fourth quarter, and I'd even say how they come out, I think it might be tough during the first half, how they come out in that th- early third quarter. How do they, how do they set the tone that they're really in the game? And then you're right. Are they ready? Are they, re- they going to play to win in the fourth quarter? Or are they going to try to play not to lose in the fourth quarter? And most teams make a mistake against uh, New England when they try to play not to lose. They, they end up losing. It's almost like they go into this prevent mindset that doesn't pay them well, doesn't do them well, and they end up just letting them get you by a nose. And so right. we're looking forward to it. Um, I think it's going to be a great week of, of kind of watching, the, uh, watching it build. But, you know, obviously Hank and I are believing that New England – uh, has got it, and so let me add. That's a, let me add. Go ahead. Before we move on, I, want, I do want to add this though, that um, I, there were some takeaways that 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 from this from this playoff year that 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 we need to talk about, and that is that we saw a Jacksonville team that I think you and I are both very excited about that we can't wait to see mature, develop, and see what 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 kind of championship pedigree is that team going to have I think you've seen a Minnesota Vikings team that you know if they make the right moves at the quarterback spot and can stay healthy you know what does that look at this Philadelphia team uh, that with I mean, you're looking at some teams now that uh, are really look like 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 now like, like there's some torch uh, passing of the torch you know the New Orleans of the world the Green Bays the, the, those teams you're starting to see the Jacksonvilles. You're starting to see the the Minnesotas and, and, and the Philadelphias and the and, and the Rams, you know, come up. And now it's like now you're starting to see the, the, this next wave of, of NFL teams that we can start looking at and who's the next dynasty. So I think that's that's the fun part of what we saw as well this year. Well, one of the things that we're gonna we're gonna try to uh, pay attention to it. We're excited about it. Obviously, uh, Hank and I will have a lot to say once the Super Bowl's over, uh, and uh, uh, in our our next podcast, and kind of reflect on what we had a chance to see, and we'll we'll kind of sum up that in, uh, that NFL season. One of the adjustments Hank and I had to make, and part of it is because our hometown team was involved in the blockbuster, and. Um, which shocked me. I got in the car and I was like, what? So here it is. You have uh, Bryce Johnson, uh, Willie Reed, and uh, Blake Griffin sent to Detroit for Tobias Harris, Avery Bradley, Baban Marjanovic, a first-round draft pick in 2018, and the second-round pick in 2019. Wow. I mean, yeah. it, I was just caught up, and you know, we had just had a conversation about. It. I felt like, um, you know, you had the big blow up between Houston and the Clippers, but it felt like the, even with all the injuries, the Clippers are finding their uh, their uh, legs. Reports are that you know this has West uh, uh, Jerry West fingerprints all over it. Uh, I don't know what it means for West and 
Doc Rivers, it's, it's, it's been a lot of speculation about them not really getting along um, and, uh, you know, a lot of tension. Um, you know, um, you got Lawrence Frank is part of that. Um, and it seems like they are sending a signal that they're rebuilding, you know, but Tobias Harris is, you know, having a great season. Um, you, you're still looking at uh, the Clippers probably making some more moves uh, as well. Uh, here over the uh, next uh, uh, right here for the uh, trade deadline um, in, in terms of, um, you know, uh, being able to move some players. But Griffin coming to the East, I, I got a, I got a text from uh, my guy Hammer. Hammer's like, what do you think? I was like, Blake Griffin in the East is big. Uh, yeah. He has some struggles out West, but Blake Griffin in the East can be dominant, um, can be a changer in the East. Uh, uh, if they if they use them correctly uh, as well, and I think the sneaky part of that trade because I, I like them coming out uh, is Bryce Johnson. I think Bryce Johnson, if used correctly, has a lot of potential. Um, I think this kid, I watched him at Carolina. Um, I think he um, uh, has 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 a lot of potential. But when you heard about this trade, man, I know you right there. You know the airways have got to be going crazy down there in southeastern Michigan. Oh, it went nuts. Um, see, here's the thing. you got to understand that the Pistons right now is not getting a whole lot of press, okay? Uh, you have uh, some very, very frustrated uh, uh, NBA Detroit Pistons basketball fans around here. Stan Van Gundy, who is the president, or the GM rather, and the coach of this team uh, and uh, for the last three, four years. And we haven't, we haven't seen... This team really developed. You have uh, you you know you, you have the the face of the team in Andre Drummond, uh, and and you're trying to put some players around Reggie Jackson and some players, and you're looking for this team to start to make a move. And they 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 hover around the eighth spot in the East, and and they go on these these ridiculous losing streaks. And it's just they the people who are around here are really starting to get kind of frustrated with the Pistons. So then all of a sudden you look up, and you're thinking that okay. You're going to try to, you know, sneak in under the radar on the on the playoffs around here for what? Because you're not going to beat anybody, blow this thing up, you know, get get uh, Van Gundy out of here and try to build this foot this this uh, this basketball team the way it needs to be built. Well, lo and behold, we look up, and to me, on the surface, it looks like a Stan Van trying to save his job kind of move. Okay, you get you get a a Blake Griffin. First of all, that that you hopefully hopefully that'll sell you some tickets to the to the Little Caesars Arena. Get more people out there to come see him and Drummond play together. And then you talk about Bryce and you talk about the other players that that came along in that. And like I said, on the surface, it it doesn't really resonate too much outside of the fact because Tobias Harris, uh, you know, they, they, those guys they weren't we weren't winning anyway. The Pistons weren't winning. Uh, consistently enough with those players on the team, but what I think when I when I when I kind of read the tea leaves uh, and the reaction is, you know, the average fan is okay. Now you're giving away draft picks. You're giving away a first round pick for next year. Okay, we don't know what that pick is going to be, uh, and then you give away a, a pick the, the following year. So what are you really you, you're mortgaging your future for a team that's not that's hanging around eight. All right, so I think that the, the the name Blake Griffin is going to is going to turn some heads, but I know that Blake Griffin spends a lot of time, you know, uh, on the shelf with injuries. 
too. So we, we'll have to wait and see. I, I, I don't think that I, it's mixed right now as far as the fan base right now. They're, they're mixed because a lot of people are already uh, disenchanted with Stan Van and what he's done with the Pistons. Uh, I think it's going to be exciting to see Blake Griffin, provided he can stay healthy. But the bottom line is, what are you trying to get out of this Detroit with this trade? What do you, what do you, what do you, what are you hoping to accomplish? Are you going to be able to keep Blake Griffin, and for how long? And then, what other moves are you willing to make to make yourself a contender? And do you think you can contend with Cleveland and Boston either this year or next year? So you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of questions around why the Pistons are doing what they're doing. Yeah, and I had a chance to see the Pistons um, in Chicago uh, when Levine made his uh, debut game, his comeback game, and, um, you know, uh, <laughs> they lost on a last-second play. Um, and the difference I could see, the Pistons uh, had some strength on the wings down low, but other than Ish Smith, the, the point guard, they needed a dominant. That was the difference in that game was the point guard play, and I, I think Ish Smith has uh, the ability to be that point guard. But I think what Blake does bring to them that's been a feature for him uh, this year is his passing off the double team um, because they, they, they got some shooters, but they didn't have anybody that who could really draw the double team and open them up so that they could get some free shots. So I think one of the most important things about them getting Griff is his, his, the way in which he plays almost his point forward at times and draws and become a, 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 a much – uh, better uh, passer and create open shots uh, for people. Um, like I think you, I think you're right. I think Van Gundy's trying to figure out a way to kind of save what he he has and not have what happened to um, Doc Rivers happen to him. Uh, meaning, you know, at least they might take away that. Either tell him either go up to the president's booth or find somebody else who can do that um, and take away a little more of that power and control uh, that he has and. You know, I think for him, he's real nervous because that, I think that's why he had he felt like he had the the exit uh, in uh, his two previous locations, Orlando and Miami, uh, because he didn't have the kind of control he thought. And I think that was one of the reasons he took it. But when you have that control, you got to do something with it. And when I look at that team, I watched them. They got a lot of talent, but they're they've never had a, a, a floor general. You can tell they're missing. And even the young Bulls had that had that floor general had that space. And you can tell the difference when you have somebody who is controlling the tempo in the backcourt. And so if Ish Smith is going to be that person, he's going to get those minutes. Um, right. And that's what they need because they got the wings. And But I think the one thing that Griff does give them is that when he gets the ball in his hands, he can also distribute because that's one of the things that they were they were missing. And people are going to get some open shots because they got shooters. So uh, we'll see how this plays out. On the Clippers' side, that is interesting. Um, because it, it sends so many signals, and it seems it feels like it it feels like they slow walking Doc. It's like a slow death. You know his power slowly going. You know he's he's playing with these G League guys. He's winning. You you trade his best player. You're gonna make some other trades. You're gonna play with these young people. And, you know Avery Bradley and Tobias are great players. It's not like he can get anything back. But it really feels like uh, it doesn't feel like they're they're all on the same page out in Clipperland. It feels like the owner and Jerry West is on the same page and Lawrence Frank. But I don't know it, it does I don't know how much it feels like Doc is part of that conversation. And in some ways, it feels like he's experiencing what the reason why he left Boston. 
Now he feels like he's going through it again. And some of that's for him to blame because he had control and he kept, you know, people debate the way he was using it, his general, his general manager control and president's control. So the, the Clippers side of it, they got a lot, but I don't know what they're going to do with it. You know, I trust Jerry West, but it seems like they got a lot of issues there in the front office. You got Lawrence Frank, who's an ex-head coach as the president. You know, there's a lot of just changing dimensions there. Uh, that I don't know where that's going. And I don't know <laughs> I don't know what else to say about it. It doesn't seem like Doc is going to be there very much longer. Well, you know, by his does. own personal choice. But you know what? But but, but it, it does. But but you 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 questioned anyway when um when 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 Chris Paul was not back with that team. And now I'm not surprised if you've really been paying attention to the Clippers, I'm not surprised that they moved Blake Griffin. Again, Blake Griffin, when he is healthy, is a game changer. But his health, and he has missed significant time over the course of the last three seasons. All right? And it, that, that trade in and of itself really benefits the Clippers, in my opinion, far more than it does the Detroit Pistons. Okay, it helps the Clippers, in my opinion, far more than it helps the Detroit Pistons, because they got a draft pick, and they got you know uh, they got uh, two good, good ball players that's going to help that team. Okay, and and it's going to play. It's going to play some significant minutes. Um, now the thing is about the Clippers, and you and I talked about this team last year. I, I told you they look like a throwback team as far as how their um, lineup was set up. However, they did not do what they needed to do uh, to keep that team uh, rolling the way they're supposed to. Yeah, I think, you know, part of it is, you know, I mean, the hard thing about it is Chris Paul um, is not, um, you know, he didn't lead them in the way he needed to lead them. I mean, I know there's a lot of complaints or whatever, but Chris, Chris Paul's playoff success wasn't there. And I know they had injuries. They had Paul hurt one year, Blake hurt one year. But, you know, he, he wasn't, um, you know, <laughs> you know, in some ways they let him down. And they, they let Doc down. His stars let him down. And they just could not get over the top. They had that – they had that um, – uh, they had that uh, – uh, uh, what three one three two lead three two lead with a lead in the fourth quarter um, uh, against uh, Houston and folded and then lost and then you know they they, they could have been playing Golden State before they won that first championship and so that was an opportunity for uh, for for them to get over the top and so in some ways you know. That goes differently. Doc put him in position to win, but at some point your superstars got to win it for you. And I think they just lost steam after that. They could never get over the top. And Doc wasn't able, ever able to add some of those young pieces. I think one of the things that Marcus said really good that changed with Jerry West coming in here was that Doc wasn't – Jerry West, one thing you can't say, he gave him some innovative young people to come into the fold and – uh, Doc kept going back to that, you know, that old veteran mentality of re- recycling players when he wasn't, you know, being a little bit more creative about where he found the talent to actually add some energy, similar to what Golden State. Golden State has all these young guys. 
that they find, whether they, they develop them and they energize them into the lineup. Same thing with San Antonio. And that comes with the player development part. And I think that's what's so hard about being both the president and the coach. And so they find themselves in this spot. The one thing about the Detroit trade, if Bryce Johnson is what I think he could be, that Detroit trade becomes a nice trade. I, got to, I do think the Clippers, if use it, definitely could win that trade. But I think it could turn out to be a trade that was mutually beneficial for what they needed at the time. If, if Bryce can add that extra element uh, of depth that can get them going into the playoffs um, in a way that I think he can develop, uh, that could add something to the Detroit side of the equation uh, that can uh, uh, be very good for them. So we'll see where that goes. We'll see how that evolves. But that's something that happened that we felt like uh, we needed to talk about. A tease that I want to put in for y'all from NBA thing. Next week, Hank and I are going to upstage Steph Curry and LeBron. We're going to do our own NBA draft. We're going to do it live, though. So this is a little teaser. In our next pay, uh, podcast, Hank and I are going to do our own live all-star draft. We're going to, it's going to be like the playground. We're going to, we're going to, you ain't going to have to speculate who gets picked last. You're going to know who gets picked last. And we apologize right now. <laughs> and you can decide whether or not you want to come or not. But we're going we to next week. Uh, but with everything going on, but we're going to do that before the All-Star weekend. Uh, we're going to have fun with it. Um, and uh, uh, stay tuned for that next podcast when we do our own NBA All-Star draft, Hank and I. And we're going to have fun with it. But you will know which guys get picked last. But we, 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 we believe in being transparent. As we go into this, the second part of this, you know, Hank and I, as y'all know, are natives of Michigan. And uh, the other thing you do know is that um, on the RSD platform, we spend a lot of time talking about the world of intercollegiate athletics. Um, because of our backgrounds, a lot of time, intersection of education and social issues. And uh, those, you might have to have been under a rock to not know what's going on at Michigan State University uh, with Dr. Nasser in that case and the many victims and, 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 and kids to young women, uh, but just the, uh, the culture of sexual assault, rape, abuse um, that I would say Michigan State is a is a um, serve, serves as uh, a wake up call for what is happening on a lot of campuses, uh, and particularly this intersection between intercollegiate athletics, money, power, and how process and decision making is happening. Uh, Magic Johnson, who is Michigan State's probably most famous alum, came out very strongly about uh, uh, his. Reaction, you know, most people thought, some people criticized how long it took for him to come out and react um, about that people should be held accountable and fired if, if, if need be. Most people by now are aware of uh, Coach Izzo's exchange with a reporter from ESPN and really appeared to be frazzled, but at the same time, in some ways, made it seem like he was not aware of some of the circumstances, uh, particularly with one of his uh, uh, assistant coaches when that assistant coach actually was living at his house. 
this this has so much to do with power, privilege, abuse, and just exceptions tied to a lot of the issues that we've talked about on this air. Um, and, you know, I thought that, you know, it would only be appropriate, you know, because this is who we are, real sports guys, that we spend a little bit more time uh, talking about this. And, and for Hank and I, given that this is our home state, and we, we'll fully disclose, you know, we grew up in, in the Ann Arbor area, but this is different. This is not probably bashing Spartans. In fact, you know, Coach Izzo's one of my favorite coaches. Um, and I, I'm, I'm upset with the way he's handling this. Um, and as you find out a lot of this stuff, uh, uh, D'Antoni is, is, is that typical football coach response to this stuff of power and privilege that I think is just uh, unacceptable. And so there's a lot that goes on with this, um, it, you know, uh, but as, as, as two guys who grew up in that state, um, you know, for the Big Ten Conference, given what happened with Penn State, now at Michigan State, not to say that this isn't happening all over the country, but these are two highly visible activities that's happened in the Big Ten Conference. Um, when you think about what happened at Penn State uh, and to still see that this is going on, even after what happened with Sandusky, to still have made these decisions uh, makes it even much more egregious. So, you know, Hank, I, I know that you and I have talked a little bit offline, but, you know, just your initial reaction to the, you know, how this thing has been unfolding. You know what? This thing, I don't think a lot of us realize the severity and the gravity of this until the ESPN report came out. You know, there was a lot of talk going back to last year about Dr. Nasser and uh, what he did. But unless you had an opportunity to read some of the uh, gory details of, of his actions, you really didn't realize, you know, what, what sort of monster that, that he is. Now, you know, we knew that he worked at Michigan State and he worked for the United States Olympic team with the gymnastics team, but we didn't know the the level of, of again, the, how, how, how just absolutely gross this was. Um, and to just bring everybody forward on that, he was sentenced to 175 years by a Michigan judge who basically said to him during his sentences, I was, during his sentence, that I have just signed your death warrant. So you take that news, and then all of a sudden what that did was it opened up Michigan State to a lot of criticism and a lot of scrutiny that a lot of us simply did not know. And when I mean a lot of us, just your casual fans and or just, just people, uh, sports people. You know, just you didn't know a lot of what was going on. Now you find out. Now you you, you kind of knew D, but you didn't know. So, you know, like for an example, last year Michigan State's basketball football team went three and nine, and there were several players kicked off the team or because of misconduct or violating team rules. Okay, so we knew that, but what we didn't know was was how long and how deep this went. And so now you you have us talking about it this week. And all of us, and I'm a Michigan fan, and, you know, you guys who listen to the show know that. But I'm deeply troubled by what was going on in East Lansing. And you're hearing narratives like, you know, if this was a, a, a program that uh, really uh, was, was watching what's going on, they would, have, they, would have, they would have handled it differently. But Michigan State, not knowing how to handle success, was letting things go and all this other kind of stuff. All that stuff is speculation. All that stuff is conjecture. 
But it is concerning when you have Mark D'Antonio come on and you have Tom Izzo come on and they're saying these things like, no, we're handling everything right. There has to be a time when you have to humble yourself when you don't know all the facts. And this needs to be one of those times, okay? You have the whole nation looking at Michigan State, and you brought up Penn State. And what you saw with Penn State was a whole institution covering up stuff. And then that word, lack of institutional control, okay? And now you got Magic Johnson saying, if anybody knew what's going on, everybody should be fired. Well, I got news for you. If those guys, if those guys knew what was going on, it was covering up. That's going to be a bombshell, and it's going to be an embarrassment not just for Michigan State, but for the state of Michigan. Trust me. And you know, it's not something that uh, that that I really would like to see happen. You know, to that institution. Not that way. You know, you would hope that uh, you know if you got college age kids and they want to go to Michigan State, that your daughter is going to be safe if she steps on that campus. Yeah, you and I have a, a number of friends and folks who, um, you know, uh, particularly folks of color, there's not a lot of predominantly white institutions where people have a serious um, uh, allegiance to. Michigan State's one of them. Uh, when you talk to people of color who are alums, uh, and, and, and it's always an example of people who have pride in their institution. And some of those folks I haven't even talked to yet, and I know – they got they have a deep reaction to some of this craziness that happened here. But this thing has gone all the way up to the to the NCAA. In fact, um, it's been reported that Mark Emmert was made aware of this uh, back in, I believe, uh, 2010. They were notified about uh, uh, several of these uh, incidents uh, that occurred at Michigan State. And this is where. You know, the whole power dynamics, money, structure um, <laughs> element can come in, this, this idea of process. You know, I just went through Title IX training. It's very clear about how you report this and who should be involved and uh, who should be, uh, you know, uh, considered and, and um, how folks should be notified. And, it, and it's a very set process. And so – if they they set up they set up their own process in addition to that uh, to 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 keep it from going into that process, there's going to be problems with that. But then to know that the NCAA and this is why I tell you, I always say you know faculty are part of the issue. Mark Emery is a former president, senior leadership, CEO of a major university, former member of the faculty member faculty, former tenured faculty member, right? And I always say that. Faculty members are key to this equation. Mark Emmerich started his career as a faculty member, rose up through administration, became a, a president, chancellor, of major university, then went on and became uh, uh, director of, uh, uh, of, uh, of the NCAA. And so he, un he should understand these things. And this kind of plausible deniability and you know, the language people are using in response to this, to you can't have this many things happening and not have any people know. I mean, I, I'm on a college campus. Ain't no way in the world. You can't have it and not have these people in power positions not know. And so I think one of the challenges we got here is that in the middle of all this, you got the NCAA already under scrutiny because of what happened in basketball. You already got Congress looking at 
what's happening in terms of control and what's happening in terms of everything else. One of the things I said early on in our beginning of our RSG uh, uh, podcast process is that the one thing that could begin to put its thumb on what's been happening in college sports in terms of revenue and out of control is, is if you had congressional intervention. Right. And, and between this thing that happened in basketball and what's this right here is the kind of stuff that gives mothers, fathers, daughters, community members up in arms that elected officials have to respond. It's one of the reasons why the attorney general in Michigan is responding. Part of it's a political response, but common folk have said there's a problem with this. And if you ever got congressional involvement, not too far behind that is some type of legislative oversight. And it's going to be interesting to see how this thing evolves because these things have happened pretty close together. Uh, to have someone like this where it's reported the number of times it's reported. It's not like once or twice. This is like, this is in, this is in significant numbers. And no one did anything. But right. yet you're going to you but you but y'all going y'all going y'all suspend or uh, uh, a player uh, uh, if they uh, uh, sell their jersey to uh, someone to get money for food. It's that kind of balance that is crazy or imbalanced. It tells you where the power and interest in the structure is. Um, some of these incidents that they describe happen with football. You and I've been around this space, man. We've been around this growing up. Some of the stuff that you they describe and that, that some of these players were doing and 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 nobody but then when you have an assistant coach as well, man, that you talk about lack of institutional control, there's nothing greater than that, particularly on the heels of Penn State. This is gonna be absolutely right. And you know the, to the, see how this goes. The, the the sad thing about that too is that um uh the sad thing about that whole the whole piece is that if you go back and you think about some of these uh incidences or some of these uh claims and I can tell you where players were 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 allowed to play they were allowed to play they 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 you didn't know what happened with them um and these situations were serious they were absolutely serious especially with that football team. I mean, I I can just recall a year ago, there was all kinds of stuff coming out of East Lansing on top of the Larry Nasser case. I mean, a whole lot about players being taken off the team, this, that, and the other thing. And then you have the football coach say something like, well, this is the first time this has happened. You know, you don't do that. You don't do that. And, and and then they try to minimize it by saying, oh, well, this happens on every college campus in America. That's not fair to those other those other institutions that's doing it right and really trying to protect their athletes and their, and their students. You know, this is a mess. And this is the second time, unfortunately, in the Big Ten. Okay? Uh, and so I, I'm not going to be surprised. And, and, and if, if uh, Michigan State, uh, I know I heard the governor is also talking about getting involved in this as well, D. So I mean, this is things going to get worse before it gets better. And you're right. And, and I will say this: that you know, to, to to Michigan fans out there and stuff like that, this is not one of those times where you where you play. 
you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this is not no time where you play because you see a rival falling short. This ain't one of those situations. This is very serious. This is very serious, especially for everybody in the state of Michigan, because it's an embarrassment. It's very much an embarrassment when you have an institution of higher learning that cannot control or will not control what they know is absolutely and blatantly wrong for a dollar to the point where young women are being assaulted, you know, right there on campus and their rights are not are not taken seriously. I, I just think that's that's wrong. Um and, 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 and I'm with Magic Johnson, something needs to be done about that. And you know, and I applaud the, the faculty, staff and students. You know, this is what I, I love about um our college environment and our students is they will stand up and speak truth to power. If y'all been on up these campuses, I spent my life on college campuses. Um, what I love about our students and, and our faculty and our staff, and particularly in some of these major public universities, is they will speak truth to power. And, and the fact that they are coming out and holding the administration accountable, um, you know, Coach Izzo, uh, you know, I, 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 I love watching you. But you make a lot of money, and you got to answer some questions. <laughs> At a certain point, you can't be, you can't be, you can't be um, uh, feeling like you, you know that 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 you're being put in a higher spot uh, when uh, when you reaped a lot of benefits for some of these young people and folks that are being coached. Like you, you owe you owe the people, and especially the people of Michigan as a public university. Uh, the time and effort to be a straight shooter to come to, to do this because people invested uh, their kids. We talk about the way in which sports have drawn people to, to come to universities and places and, uh, uh, and recruited kids to be there, to be in a place that they're not safe. And, you know, as a public figure on that, you got to be the one who's hold, towing the line and, and holding that uh, expectation for the university uh, because you are that public figure. So, um, for me, you can't be asking like you can't be acting like you, you're being put off and put in a position when somebody's asking you some legitimate questions, given given uh, what's been going on. And then, Tony, you can't be you can't be treating folks as they stupid. Sometimes these folks be giving answers like like they Trump, you know, like we just supposed to believe what you're saying. Like, look, there's nothing that goes on in your program you don't know about. You're not a major college coach and not know these kind of things. These things come right to you. It's, you, you don't, these kind of incidents don't get passed on to the assistant coach. <laughs> the head coach know about it because the AD know about it. And so for you to act like you're going to kind of pass these things on, it's important. And I think your message is real clear about, you know, Michigan fans and other folks in there. This is not about rivalry bashing. Uh, this is happening on everybody's campus, and don't act like it ain't happening on yours. Uh, and this is people got to really try to clean out their closet, but it tells you how far we've come for the money for the bag. Because this wasn't swept on the rug just because it swept on the rug. It swept on the rug because of the bag. It swept on the rug because uh, college sports has become a really important fundraising vehicle, and you're not going to upset that. And and to the extent that you would allow very vulnerable people to continue to be abused. And folks who came forward to feel like they're going crazy. I mean, in this case, you had fathers 
committing suicide, kids be committing suicide. Like, like that's the outcome of people's lack of institutional control. That lives are lost. Right. That that that's 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 hard to stomach as someone who's been a college administrator for almost twenty five years. Right. I, you know, I've been through enough of these cases with a lot of young people on both sides. These are not easy things to get through when you have to work with people and families and pain on all sides of these issues. Uh, but you have to be committed. And I know there's a lot of people over in the student affairs uh, side of things at MSU who been trying to say things for years only to be overpowered. There's probably some people who've been fired because they raised some issues and people pushed them out. There's a, you, when you talk about the collateral damage on this stuff, there's a lot of bodies you're going to find when y'all, they start digging deep. So it's going to be interesting about where this goes. And, you know, we're going to keep uh, a post on this. Uh, we also will be bringing some folks on uh, as we can periodically to, to share their thoughts, some experts, people who know this much deeper than uh, myself and, 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 and Hank. So, um, Hank, let me, let, me, let, me, uh, let me switch gears a little bit on here because we, we're going to come back to this topic a lot over the uh, next couple of uh, 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 weeks because I think this is something that's going to linger uh, for a while uh, with us. Um, when, when we think about kind of like uh, future of athletics, when you think about, I'm, I'm, and I'm projecting, you know, this is one, thing, one of the things I've, I've been projecting in, in one of my, you know, real good guys, I know Sean Frazier, who is the AD at uh, Northern Illinois University. Um, one of the things I appreciate about Sean is that Sean is uh, he he he's someone who understands the developmental side as well as the fundraising side. One of the things that I'm I'm seeing that's going to be very important when people are starting to look at athletic leadership as these things keep blowing up is that a lot of the ADs come from the business side. A lot of people who end up in the ADC um, are people who don't have student development backgrounds. They know how to raise money. And I think I'm, I'm, I'm interested in thinking about because of the level of liability that's coming out of these kinds of things, what that's going to mean for athletic leadership, that – you know, unless you can find someone, and not to say Sean hasn't gone through whatever he is, I haven't had a chance to talk to him, but one of the things I can appreciate about him and some of the other ADs I've met who are in that space, there's a number of ADs who, who not only are good fundraisers, but they understand this student-athlete development issue. In fact, they really push on coaches on this area. You know, where do you see that going? Because I, I, I think that the leadership model in athletics is going to have to be addressed if it's going to be sustained long term. It is, but here's the thing, okay? When you start talking about big-time uh, college uh, sports, you, that's not going to change overnight. They're going to always find somebody who knows how to run a business to take over that. We have seen that where the athletic departments have flourished, okay? I'm sure when you look at Michigan State, and you can even look at Michigan several years ago, they flourished. They made the money they wanted to make initially, okay? What happens is everything else starts to fall apart, okay? The business aspect flourishes well, but now you're talking about state-run institutions of higher learning, 
Okay, you're talking about schools. All right, and that's where they fall apart. What's going to have to happen is that we we start talking about oversight. It's like, okay, you can't just let the almighty dollar run your run your athletic department. Um, what you've seen with with most successful athletic departments is that you've got somebody who understands both sides of that. They understand the business aspect, but they also understand the athletic piece of it. They also understand uh, the the uh, collegiate piece. Um, but that's not going to happen overnight because a lot of these institutions right now, a lot of these athletic departments need to get the big deals. They need to get the big facilities. They need to do all these things too because recruitment is a big thing. And so in order for them to recruit properly, they need someone who knows how to help build buildings, who knows how to improve facilities and all this sort of thing. And until you get that piece done, are you going to be able to go back to the old school, old fashioned athletic director that runs his athletic and runs her his or her athletic department like it's supposed to be run? Where you are watching, you are, you do have oversight on what's going on here. You have oversight on the academic side of what's going on with the student athlete. A lot of that is lost too. We haven't talked about that. A lot of that is lost the business aspect. But until these buildings are built, until these grants and all these things are rewarded, you're going to see this time and time again because you can't do it all. If everything is all business-oriented, uh, then you're not going to get into the student-athlete. They just become, unfortunately, a byproduct, and these things you're going to see again. And then, you know, uh, as time moves on, you'll probably see some sort of oversight first because right now there's so much money involved. They want the institutions to take care of it themselves. Uh, but that may change if, if this continues to go on. Again, what you see is the schools that figure it out have have somebody who's got that balance of business and has a, a collegiate uh, background, an academic background, and understands how uh, uh, collegiate institutions run from that side. And until that changes, this is going to continue. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things um, that you might see is uh, you know Ohio State and several universities have the model where the the academic side of this stuff is handled in the provost's office. The advising is handled somewhere else. I think Florida State has a model that's been moving to where uh, some of these things, so these issues get moved up either through the provost's office or a central office that's not handled within the athletic department um, to address the, the stuff around academic issues and uh, students' academic choices and separating some of that stuff out. So you might see a hybrid model that folks might move to that it, uh, because there's, now there's more liability in the central administration office if you don't take care of things. And so I think there might be some evolution to that. You know, we might bring some folks on who could probably speak to that issue. I think that would be a good issue for us to dig in. Well, let me drop the mic. You know, one of the things that uh, I had a chance to watch a little bit this weekend is um, Tiger Woods. Um, and part of it is this idea of, um, the process and developmental and also uh, finding peace. You know, I think for Tiger, these past four or five years has been really a journey to peace. And for the first time, you can see that he is comfortable. It's not about winning championships, but he's just comfortable in life. And I think that might add up into him having some success here in the near future. And I think that's something that we all have to reflect on is, is where is that point where we all – are at peace. And so here we wish that you be at peace 
that you find whatever it is you want to do, and that um, we want to thank you for being with us here on The Real Sports Guys. Till next time, from Hank and Devon, this is RSG1 Mike. Yes, yes, today, yes, yes, today, you know, as we start this show, this one might be. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.